Welcome back to the Thoughtful Dad Podcast, co-hosted by Wesley Schantz and Joe Worthy. We hope you've been enjoying our take on fatherhood and the liberal arts, learning that is appropriate to free time and free people, a perspective universally available now thanks to media, be it YouTube, podcasts, but what do we do with all this stuff? The challenge is using leisure time wisely, finding time for it in the first place. Quiet space, reading and listening as if we were reading a book, though we're probably not, and of seeking wisdom, so difficult to measure, but no harder than being a dad. Hey folks, welcome to the Thoughtful Dad Podcast. I'm Joe. I'm Wesley, and we have a guest. We have a guest, um, an extra <laughs> an extra guest, uh, Pete Beskus. He is a leadership coach, and he focuses on fatherhood and really getting fathers to be the best, best self, starting from, I think, the inside out. How you doing, Pete? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. You being here and taking the time to bringing some of your proof to what we do. Um, and I start out asking, tell us a little bit about how you got into and and if you had a coach or a mentor, somebody who kind of helped you. Yeah, um, definitely. Because I don't think we all start, you know, this isn't one little idea that lights in our head and we just go with it. I think we learn from all our mentors and our experiences and I'm no different. So, you know, my name's just to start, my name's Pete Beskus. I am a life coach and I focus on helping men through burnout, overwhelm transitions, um, especially as they become fathers and progress in their career, whatever the different areas of life kind of throw at them. Um, one of the things I learned from my experience is that we're not taught any of the skills that we need to after a certain point in time. Um, I think all of us went to school and learned algebra, calculus, you know, um, English, literature, but how many people learned how to manage their emotions, how, learn how to be leaders of their family, um, how to deal with adversity, right? These are all things that we learn along the way, but we're not taught through the conventional methods how to handle those things. So, you know, I grew up kind of like a lot of other people, you know, I grew up in the 80s and the 70s and didn't wear helmets, didn't wear seatbelts, um, kind of... <laughs> Right. My parents would yell at me and hit me every once in a while if I got out of line. Um, you know, I, I was the product of immigrants. My parents were immigrants from Greece. And, you know, I learned how to work really hard. I learned how to study at school. You know, I thought that if I filled out the checklist, go to school, get a job, get married, have kids happily ever after. I think all of your listeners will agree that is not how it goes. Right. So, I filled the checklist. I went and I got a degree in engineering. I went and got a job, you know, uh, worked in, in cor corporate for close to 20 years, got married, had the kids. And then I felt the pressure cooker of life. And at 40, I was also diagnosed with cancer. Um, and that was a real eye opener for me because I was at the peak of my career. I was at the best place I'd ever been financially. I had a beautiful wife, beautiful children, and I wasn't happy. I was miserable. And usually at that point, you find that's when you find the right mentor. I did not because I needed to learn one more lesson. I freaked out, sold everything and moved to California with my wife and children. We used to live in Canada. Um, I did it for the weather, but mostly because I was running away. I didn't know how to deal with that, with those problems. But here's the thing with running away is you take those problems. So you can run away from situations, but you can't run away from yourself. I had to learn that lesson as the next phase of my life. So we faced some more adversity coming down to California, and that's where I met my first man. And he was, my wife and I owned a dental practice at the time, and he was a dentist turned entrepreneur turned coach. 
but he talked a lot about being a composite, well-rounded human being. And that message was the first time I'd heard that. It was like, what? I can be fulfilled, I can be happy, can be healthy, and I can be successful? Like, wait, that sounds way too good to be true, (laughs) right? (laughs) I'm like, where's the snake oil, right? But as I started to dig into it, I realized that that's what I had been doing my whole life. I had been putting all of my energy and all my priorities into the things that didn't matter to me. And that's why after 20 years, you know, when I was single, when I was younger, I could compensate. But as you layer on more responsibilities and you feel like you need to be there for your wife, your children, and yourself, if you haven't built those skills, they fall apart. And that was really the beginning of my journey. So I started looking into different coaches, different self-help. And then I came across the Life's Coach School, which is where I got certified. And they taught me the model, a way to think and a way to lay out any problem to make it solvable. And that resonated. And I knew that I couldn't keep the secret to myself. I had to get out there. I had to share it with men. I had to share it because women, they're already on the bandwagon. They've been doing this stuff for, you know, 10 years or so, right? Uh-huh. And men are the stubborn ones. We're the ones who don't want, we are not, we're the ones who don't want to get help. We're the ones who don't raise our hand. And that was what turned into my mission is that no one should have to learn the lessons I learned in the way I learned. <laughs> I'll be your shortcut. Right, right. No, I'm thinking of the cliche is like the guy when he's driving, he will not pull over to ask for direction. The woman is happy to so right. She'll chat with the guy will keep going in the same direction because by golly, he knows how to get there. Like, shut up. Right. But yeah, um, maybe it's evolution, right? Like we have been (laughs) navigating for our people for so long. We just know which way, which way. A hundred percent. And, you know, half the time, even if we know we're wrong, we won't admit to it. Right. That's awesome. I, I'm loving what I'm hearing about like managing emotions. Um, and there's something that you brought up that we've actually talked about at least a little bit on previous episodes. Um, and like, we're not taught, you said we're not taught to manage those things. Right. And you've also said that you want people not to learn those things the way that you had to. Um, this is top of mind for me because I'm about to have a little boy soon. Right. And, you know, I'm sure Wesley thinks about this, too, because he has a little boy. How do you go about like putting this into your your fatherhood plan, so to speak, for a young kid? How do you bring them up aware of their emotions, aware of uh, their anger, um, how to use it or not and how to engage in the world responsibly and not just do the whole man thing well and this is why it's really really important to get ahead of the curve like it's even be thinking about that before you have your son you're already you know in the one percent of one uh, percent of one percent of people because yes. most of us have the kid screw up the first one and maybe try to work on the second one and make it better <laughs> that's why grandparents are amazing but what I and I have a little boy too. He's seven, and he's also got anxiety, and he's also um, has a hard time regulating his emotions. So for me, it's very personal to master those skills for myself first, because mm-hmm. I can't lead him if I don't know how to lead myself. And I think for every single man out there, whether you have a son, a daughter, or zero kids, it's important to start the work on yourself. Then you're in the position to teach your children. And, you know, another side benefit of that is your partner probably likes you a lot better as well. <laughs> I have to ask, yeah, you mentioned that. What about the, your wife or your partner or other people, your village? How how do you be a participant, part of a... Well, and I think this goes to that leadership concept that we always have, right? And what kind of leader are you? 
because every single one of us has our own style, our own strengths, um, and our own weaknesses. So to really identify what you excel at and where are you going to lead from, you know, to truly embody that leadership mentality, sometimes you're going to be leading from the front, you know, helping to direct people. Sometimes you're going to be leading from behind, like pushing them on. But most of the time, you have to be leading shoulder to shoulder with them. And there's a reason the old Spartans and the old Romans fought shoulder to shoulder, because that's where you're most protected. And so that is how I view leadership. But again, we cannot control. This is, a, this is something that I've had a very hard time learning, because I'm kind of thick-headed. But we can't control other people, and we can't control how they think or how they act. We can only control ourselves. And when we create the example, it's amazing how many people will follow. Yeah, Joe, I wonder where it is you about this. Why is having the other boy that you also have, right? All, all the other you know cousins? Well, I mean, I think for me, you know, I th it's different fundamentally. Um, I was just as scared um, to have a little girl, right? Because I was scared for, for a whole other host of reasons. Most of them are um, society's expectations on my kids versus what, you know, like I think is um, important for them, right? And so like, how do I prepare them for that, um, guard them from that as, as best I can um, to have them grow up into, you know, um, you know, prospering human beings. Um, I've also um, have taken in children, right? Because, you know, I've, we've had um, at least three other children, at least two other kids in our kinship care. So we're not foster parents, we're kinship caregivers. That means that, that they're either family or close family friends where the kids needed somewhere else to go besides foster care. Pete, if that um, is that what we're wondering. So we didn't wake up and we were like, oh, let's go get some kids. You know, they kind of knock on the door, so to speak. Not literally. They, they call nowadays. But, you know, and they say, hey, you know, you want some kids? <laughs> You're like, uh, sure. You know, um, and if I'm being if I'm being completely honest, um, I am. I get scared. And, you know, one of my psychologist friends says, you know, you get scared from the things or you or you you get fearful and you get angry about the things that you can't control right um and so you try to grasp onto it as mo as best you can and i'm trying not to do that with with shelly kj you know or um you know uh jw3 who's coming who's coming you know to a to a house near you um but i've seen um what could happen if you don't sort of like engage from day one, right? Um, and and it, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with sort of like socioeconomics or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, so I get scared, right? Um, I've worked in child policy, um, you know, most of my life, right? And so, you know, I understand what's at stake. And, um, you know, we're dealing with things residually, um, you know, from, a, from the kids in kinship care, that I would prefer not to, <laughs> you know, um, deal with down the road. Um, and so like all of those things, I don't know if it makes it better or worse. I know this though, it makes me fearful. Right. And so to a certain extent, I, I could be overcorrecting, right? Like, so, um, but I just want to get it right so badly, you know what I'm saying? And so like, <laughs> um, me and Wes are sort of like opposites on this spectrum, but I have this whole list of fears, right? 
whether they be sociopolitical, whether they come from like um, my understanding of like the racial history in this country that scare me, right? And so like I want to prepare or over-prepare <laughs> my kids for those realities. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes it can come off as a little, you know, tough, but, um, you know, I it's it's really coming from a place of like just wanting them to be able to handle themselves. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's really a long answer to a short question, Wesley, <laughs> why I'm thinking about this before he's even born. You know what I mean? I have all these things that haven't even happened yet, right? That could happen, you know? Um, so it worries me, I think. Well, can I ask you one question, Joe? Uh-oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> what is it that you want to be for them? Mm, I want to be... Is it one thing or is it several things? No, like, Can you be? know, who's who's Joseph's avatar of the kind of father he wants to be or the father figure he wants to be? Um, I want to be like, hmm, you know, this is going to sound cliche or, you know, but I want to want to be their leader. Right. Like and not in a not in a like, you know, you do what I tell you type of way. Right. But to be a person that puts them in the best position to succeed type okay. leader. Um, that's, that's what I want to do for all. The I want to, I want to follow up with maybe a different way of looking mm -hmm. at it, uh, take it from a different point of view. How do you want them to feel? Mm. I want them to feel safe. Okay. That's what, I, yeah. I want them to feel safe and I want them to feel like I have their back. So safe, supported. Mm -hmm. What else? I want them to feel heard. Right. And I want them to feel this is going to sound this is a very I want them to feel honored, you know? Um, yeah. Honored. Yeah. Explain that a little bit. more. Like, That's, yeah, I like, <laughs> no, I want them to feel like they're like, like they like I show them that they're an important piece to this like puzzle. Right. Like that, um, you know, like there comes a time, I guess, like in your life where you're sort of like stepping on the shoulders of other people, right? Like to get to where you want to be. And, um, you know, Wesley doesn't watch Game of Thrones, but I do. And <laughs> I, I do as well. He's a, yes. So like, I think in a lot of ways, like as a parent, it's about like, in a way, you're sort of like bending the knee for your kid and you're letting them sort of hop on. You know what I mean? And that's sort of a way of like honoring, right? Like there's this whole lineage, this whole family history, and it's an honor to be able to like step into a leadership role in that way. Um, but it had to be invited by other family, right? You know, and they had to sort of like honor me in that way. And so I want to, I, I just want to slow you down there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we were going there is now we've plied off into how you want to feel about that, right? We started with how do you want them to feel? And it was safe, secure, heard, and I heard value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But honored is how you want to feel. It's the lineage, right? Mm -hmm. like your, you can't your separate how they're feeling because they're you. They're part of you. You're yeah. Of <laughs> and, yeah. And that's very interesting. And I, so the image you gave me is of, you know, not so much bending that we can take that or leave it, but but giving a boost. Right, this is the thing kids used to do when you want to jump over a fence that want to get up to a dangerous mm -hmm. high place. You give each other mm -hmm. a boost, right? you lift them. Um, and I think of that as I, one of the ways that I, some of my role models you know, were like older kids actually, and having that 
not just a love, but even, like I value side or aspect. And that can be a really tough one. Right? You can love someone and not like them. And that's foundation. But but if you can get them to like you, everyone's a lot happier. I had all the things, but the happy. There is a graphic designer or graphic artist who put out a picture. It was um, I, I'm going to describe it to your audience. Uh, definitely go look it up. And it was the picture of a statue of a man with all these holes cut out of him. And those holes were then put together to form the image of a child holding that father's hand. And yeah. that's how I see fatherhood. That's how I see the role that we play is that we give pieces of ourselves to our children and we lead them. Like we're building them up so that they can then take over. We're not here to protect them, to shelter them, to to keep them from adversity. And I think that's a, that's part of my story is that, you know, my parents always did a great job of trying to protect me from adversity. But by doing so, you know, adversity is part of learning. It's part of that curve of building stronger, productive, resilient. I'm, I'm yeah. Just, sorry, I'm distracted because I'm trying to look. But you mentioned. But... Yeah, look it up though. It's 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 you know when you see it, it's a really it's a visual representation, but it really hits home. Uh, so do you? I, sorry, did you, but I want want to ask about like um as a because coaching I think of like right like we're doing yeah. drilling stuff and we're and then we play the game and then how the game like much of that is a part of it like a program you're with them for a while so what what corresponds to the practice to the well game that's process? and that's and that's a great question and I think really we need to shine more of a light on it I like to look at it just like that kind of coaching you know what are you as a coach you're a person who's there to help spot the blind you know to look at the blind spots that a person has so when they're barreling through life you know if you're barreling through a sport and you're you know you can't kick the ball properly your coach is there to show you the proper form now you got to go out and do the reps and, and build that muscle memory well it's the same with life coaching the first thing i work on with every single one of my clients is it's about showing them how their actions how their thoughts how their behaviors are creating the life that they currently have and once people see it there's a light bulb Right, we start to look at you. Start to open up the 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 blinders a bit. Then we work it towards goals because unless you have a goal to go, unless you have a destination, you're never going to get anywhere. It's like putting in Google Maps. You got to know where you are first, and then you've got to put in the destination, and then boom, we've got a line. But without those two critical pieces, you know, it's impossible to work with anyone. And so that's why I love I love working one on one with people because you really get to cater and create a unique strategy, unique situations. So for some, you know, so for some people, it could be weight loss for other people. Like I, you know, what I focus on a lot is that whole burnout. They feel that they just can't, you know, they're their worst enemies at some point. And it all starts with what's the crushing problem or what's the thing that's right in front of your face. That's what we'll tackle. The other great thing about having a coach um, that I found was they're there to, to kind of cheer you on, to spurn you on when you're not, when you're feeling at your low, you feel like this isn't working or this is, everything's not going the way it's supposed to. They believe for you until you get that belief ingrained in you. The other benefit to, to coaching is you learn the tools that then you can show up and mentor your children, the coaching team. Like So when you show up in the world, you're showing up with those tools and it has a real effect. No, that makes the idea of like learning something. You can learn it passively, hearing about it, but then by doing it, and especially by teaching really in that practice. So yeah, that's laying out stuff. And that seems like that's what kind of what inspired. In a way, that's, you know, having a, you, without the thinking piece necessary, but the part of you laying out, that sort of coach them up. Yeah, and then the question is, who do we go to when we need that? And I think that's that's where we struggle in the current environment. We don't have close friends. We don't have close units anymore. Um, people have become more isolated. And and to be truthful, friends are great, but not all of our friends are mindful of the bigger picture, right? So there there's a lot of bias. There's a you know um, history and color that they can. Add. And they're friends. That's what they're supposed to be. Friends are supposed to you know wine with you or drink a beer with you. And you just need to like chill out, right? 
And I think the role of a coach is so important, a mentor, which we just don't have it. You Did know, I think we ever it, have that? So, like, I, so I think about this as a relative went away. I, I just don't, I mean, if you have one, like, what do you think? I think in the way it's, it's positioned right now, um, it's very much our growth and our becoming more aware of the value of mental health and the value getting support, right? Because we've been coaching athletes for 100 years, right? Athletes have had coaches for 100 to, to increase their physical prowess. Only now are we valuing the mental prowess to the that is of value, right? Imagine if every single person had a physical coach in their corner, you know, how, how high level, you know, how, how we would all look like athletes, right? Yeah. And imagine now if every single person had a mental mind coach, the resilience, the ambition, what we could accomplish, the dialogue. See, but I do look back because I love history and I love, you know, and I, I'm of Greek descent. So, you know, the ancient Athenians uh, used to, you know, the, the idea of uh, right now, you know, probably know the word pederasty which is like I, a pedophile. I know about that. That's right. But in the ancient <laughs> Athenian term, um, pederasty was a, it was kind of like an internship or a mentorship of somebody who wasn't your father, but was an elder who mm-hmm. would take these, these young boys and teach them what it was to be a productive member of the Athenian society, what it meant to be a citizen. And I think all cultures have had that. You know, There's a, lot, a big movement lately on rites of passage. And you'll find a lot of, um, a lot of guys right now propagating the idea of rites of passage, especially for And I think that's where this whole coaching, mentoring, helping people up comes from. And if you guys need some good resources on um, rites of passage and, and, and such, I know Bedros Kulian out of California has started a squire where. <laughs> so there's so many interesting things out there, but we're, who's giving this uh, us this information, right? <laughs> like that's. Yeah. Yeah. But I was going to say that too. Like, I think a lot of this idea of coaching, though, like it's the term coach, but there are several places in history, like, and mainly when you talk about like rites of passage, there's been a huge sort of like rites of passage movement, especially for like your, your inner city young folks, sort of going back to um, certain tribal roots, uh, you know, to go from one threshold to another um, and create awareness about their surroundings. Because in a lot of cases, you know, those kids have to be more aware (laughs) than most. Right. And so, um, you know, like, I think that's a big thing. I, so I don't think necessarily that it's new. I think it is starting to mainstream, right. And it's becoming more widely accepted, you know, like in American culture. Um, but it's certainly not a not a new thing. Um, did you have a, another question, Wesley, or was I was going to go? No, I was just going to say, like, I, I do something to the idea of coaches, right, that I think and gets back to that idea, this kind of like one and mutually strength. So I think that might be something of a misconception. It's a one way where what I'm hearing from you is very much like you gain a lot from them gain that and then they will go out sort of pass that learning on. And that's part of the coming of age. Uh, but. But yeah, so I feel like that's what trying to dial, fill in, come back a little more rested and ready. For, like, yeah, and a lot of and a lot of men don't have that, right? And I think yeah. it's just one of those things where you know, as a coach, I'm obviously a big believer in coaching and being coached. So you know, I have a handful of resources that I coaches that I tap in with all the yeah. from different aspects of my life because I do treat it very much like a professional athlete. I want to be the best version of myself that I can be. So I have my mindset coach, my coach, my dad coach, my, you know, like physical coach. So I have all of those things because I value that to hone all of, of who I am. Right. And then you take that and, you know, sprinkle in different thought leader and experiences 
and it creates a richer life. No, let's get back to the gritty, the, the dad stuff yeah. here. Like I mean, but I will say for sure, like I've had a health coach, right? Like a nutrition coach. Um, um, you know, I get, I guess, life coaching as well um, from Dr. Clow. He's great. Check out the dot Dr. Clow. Um, and so I think it's a critical, critical um, uh, thing to do. One of the things that I think people get confused, though, well, before we get straight up into the, you know, back into the nitty gritty fatherhood talk, um, Pete, could you explain the difference between a coach and a psychologist, right? So you mentioned like mental health. And of course, like coaching for me helps with my mental health, right? But it is, you know, like different, you know, fundamentally from, you know, meeting with my therapist, right? So like, those are two different things. Can you sort of break it down for us? Like, what's the different here difference here? Because you're, there's always those sort of like naysayers. And as someone in the leadership field as well, it's like, you know, they're, they're saying, well, you're not a mental health professional. I'm like, not trying to be, you know, <laughs> definitely not trying to be, you know, but it does contribute to folks' mental health to put their life in perspective and to be aware of the things that are happening, right? And in some cases, I think um, it is the step and, you know, don't quote me here, but it, it could be the step you take. Um, not that you wouldn't want to just go for a tune-up for to a psychologist or whatever, right? But like being aware of your surroundings and the things that you're doing and the choices that you're making and how you're reacting and being in this world is like a critically important thing for your mental health that can perhaps stop some of the burnouts and the and the things that might come down that make make you that may make you need more intensive mental health help yeah that and that's sense? and that's something that um as a coach i'm very mindful of because when i assess people and when i have consults with people i really want to get an idea of where are you are you functioning are you you know is whatever you're going through debilitating are you depressed are you having panic attacks are you having those things? now when i see that I put that in the realm of therapy. I put that in the realm. You might need medication. You might need to speak to a therapist. You might speak to a psychologist. Um, and then are, if you are functioning, and it's like you said, um, this coaching, I feel, is for the everyday person, the average person who's going through struggles, who's trying to lead and see, who's trying to set higher goals for themselves to achieve. I liken coaching to future-focused type of practice, whereas with therapy and with psychology and everything else, it's much past focus. It's about resolving issues. It's about um, healing wounds in the past and vacation, etc. So when I work with people, I very rarely dive into the past. It's very much about right now. You know, I, I kind of treat like the past is done. It's a closed book. Yes, some experiences in the past will influence how you see the future and the present. Talk about that. But I'm not here to heal your past. I'm here to help you much brighter future. So I want to throw out the like value as a it's a loaded word in a way that has a con attached to it, right? <laughs> and I think that's the, some of the problem and some of the stress that some like that age I... But we'll like, get you there, Wesley. I'm Don't sure. We'll get you there. <laughs> but like, how, do, how can you tell that? It, because I feel like saying that you value them, but the real value be that manifest. I think you see that every single day in your relationship. You know, um, no six-year-old, 10-year-old is going to come up and say, I... Oh, dad i feel valued by you <laughs> but they will feel safe they will see be seen and feel heard you can ask them a question or if they come running a problem that's how you know they feel valued because they seem feel safe seen and heard and we do that by giving them being intentional like i teach quite a bit on it, intentionality acting reacting um and i think that that's really where the work comes 
And, and trust me, I'm a few years into this process, and my children are what impetus for me the biggest change. And it's a it's an evolution. It's a journey. You're always going to have setbacks. You're always going to be to go back and sharpen that knife, work on your skills, go back the fundamentals. It kind of goes back to the sports now. When everything's falling apart, you got to go back to fun, and you got to go to the driving range and work on that chip. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for every day, uh, I have to, my brief, and I know other kinds of, right, for, for that situation. For me, it's what I'm getting. And that's one of the things we tell William is like, you know, count. To, and then I find myself having to, and I think so much of it, yeah, imitating what you value, want to do. Yeah, yeah. One, of the, one of the things I always try to encourage people to is, I love the breathing exercises. I think for anger, especially for any kind of heightened emotion, is the perfect um, combat that. I always say emotions flare up and they're quick, especially anger. And in men, anger is our go-to um, yes. button. It's oh, like yes. the, the hit it, anger. We're going to tap <laughs> into it whenever we can. And I just finished a workshop on that where, again, it's just like anything else. When we practice it, we become really good at it. Well, we have to now unlearn what we have learned. And breathing is a great way. Box breathing, I teach on box breathing. Navy SEALs, you know, high stress combat situations, the best way of kind of calming their emotions. So it's basically four seconds breathing in, holding for four seconds, four seconds for four seconds. If you do three, four, five, six iterations of that, you'll notice your heart rate will go down, your pulses, you know, your body's getting the oxygen in. That's a real tactical way of dealing with those high The other thing I always encourage people to do is you journal yeah. in the morning or at night. But I love the morning where you can set the intention of your, you know, in a simple, you can ask yourself a few simple, simple questions, right? Like, what am I grateful for today? I know gratitude journal is a big one. Like, what, what do I appreciate out of, um, what am I excited for? Creating excitement on a daily basis, creating some sense of fun, something that you're looking forward to is so critical to stave off depression, you know, all of those things. Um, and then what are my priorities? What's one thing I want to do today? that will move the need. And then a question I always ask myself is, how do I want to show up today? You know, you ask yourself those four questions, every, and I love question prompts, but as guys, we're, we kind of like question, answer, no problem. Right. <laughs> but, you know, ask yourself how you want to show up. Do you want to be angry? Do you want to be frustrated? Do you want to be short-tempered? Do you want to be a jerk today? Do you want to be empathetic, compassionate, focused, right? So much yeah. of that I learned in Little Tiger. That's yeah. hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the maybe nope. SEALs are probably better. But the questions themselves, right? Like, um, the questions themselves create that awareness and set your intentions from the day. But that's so interesting, Wesley, that you say like, yeah, Daniel Tiger, which is basically the cartoon version of Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers and Navy oh, SEALs. But the I think what's so powerful about, you know, this idea is that these ideas run through, you know, high level performance in anything, whether you're talking about like a Navy seal or you're talking about a business leader or what we're talking about fatherhood right these tools have shown again and again and again to be like highly effective and worth your time right um i guess the question is um for me <clears throat> is how do we get other fathers to understand that these are these tools are worth their time like you're not being you know soft or any of these things, but you're actually like stealing yourself for, um, the, 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 the things ahead. So, you know, Pete, you and I are part of this dad's helping dads group on Facebook. And, yeah. you know, sometimes when like a dad will go on there and they might have like a serious question or, you know, they're looking for advice and some of these other dads go on there and they're brutal right like, and it's just like what is happening you know what i mean and it's just you know 
Um, and at every turn, right? Because what we're what we're actually talking about here, and you know, we we can disagree, but I think what we're talking about here is being vulnerable, right? Um, like really trying to like open yourselves up, open ourselves up to new ways of being. Um, you know, creating being vulnerable with our children, with our spouses, um, you know, with our family. Um, <clears throat> in a lot of cases. Um, and I'm not going to put, you know, men in a box because I think that's what we're trying to break out to, but you know, that vulnerability, you know, gets you, you know, hurt a lot of time or made fun of, like, how do we deal with that? I wrote down, you know, like one of the questions and maybe this is just a spinoff of that, but like, how do you square this with like friends that aren't there yet, you know, and you're trying to like have these high level conversations or you're trying to walk in this way, but like you know, the people in your peripherals are, aren't there yet. You know, like, what do you do? You know, and this, and this, you kind of opened a Pandora box there mm -hmm. because the first question is asked myself, it's that it's that, or the average of the five people that you hang around. The slight edge, baby. Right. Yeah. So you really have to look at the environment that you're creating. And I also believe leaving a door open for those people who want to join. Right. And, and right. especially as a coach, I can't save everyone. That's not my mandate. My mandate is to help people want to help themselves. And if you know, and I think that that's where we start. We start with here. We set the example. We show up every single day as that example. And it's just like a lighthouse. One of my coach peers, he uses a lighthouse analogy all the time. Be the lighthouse. And the courage that we need to teach our sons and our daughters is to be resilient to the name calling. Be vulnerable because vulnerability is courage. You know, it's, it's, facing your fears is courage it's not courageous to go and beat up on someone else who can't defend themselves it's not courageous to make fun of somebody who you know has a disability or something it's not courageous to be the bully it's courageous to live your value and that's what i hope i instill in my children that's what i try to do on a daily basis and when a man comes up to you and they see that lighthouse there are going to be people who ask what are you doing differently yeah no joe i think if you're if you're a bar to like change will interact on an online <laughs> Generally, that's that's a pretty high bar. I don't know the answer to that one, but I agree very much in recognizing and just kind of sloughing off the. Yeah, I, I have a I have a policy with the whole Facebook stuff. Is my my mission is to go and to help a person. So if I'm online and I see someone asking for help and I see someone hurting, I will offer the the best advice I can offer, and then I leave it at that. I don't follow up. I don't go back. It's not you know. It's here's the help that I think that I can offer, and the trolls will be trolls. And the, but but then on the other um. The opportunity just looks really different when you're one-on-one -on -one for that public sort of open. I feel like if somebody, I might have a different idea, like if somebody were to reach out directly to troll me, I might think that that person actually in that general bluff, like if somebody has taken the time to reach out individually to say something that I really disagree, I think I respond to them. We haven't reached a point yet where I, where anybody's done that as far as I think we've gotten any. Oh, just wait. Once you get big enough, they will. <laughs> look, look, yeah. Oh, so no, you know, I think it's really interesting. And, you know, it's just funny because I feel like it's this sort of like revolving door, you know, like, and, you know, at some point, you know, you know, I, you know, what we're, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is sort of like insert a little something into the culture, right? As it were. And, you know, I think at some point, you know, there's a world where we sort of, um, sort of break down some of that, like, like locker room mentality. I've been in so many locker rooms in my life and none of them have been like brutal. You know what I mean? They've all been like supportive, you know, brotherhood spaces. Um, and those are the best ones that you want to be in. The ones that are not, 
don't win, right? Um, and I think that's another important thing. So one other question that I had that I just wrote down here that I um, wanted to get on this, and me and Wesley have been wanting to talk about this um, quite a bit, but uh, we haven't really had a chance to make it fit into a show. Um, what do you think? Um, do you well? Okay, do you think religion has a big role to play in? um fatherhood or if not religion or like going to church stuff like that if should there be like understood these are our family values like what role does religion play in today's fatherhood and and that's a you know that's probably not the best question for me because you know i i grew up in a religious setting going you know greek orthodoxy but as i've gotten older i look more um you know i i can see the value the community plays um, and it all depends on who the leadership is, I think, in these different institutions, because all of the religions have pluses and minuses and positive. And I think it all depends on leadership and what you get out of it. Um, an exercise that I think is super valuable for every single individual is to identify your, your own core values and match those with your spouse's core values, your partner's core values, and then create you think your family values should be if that involves religion. By all means, put in if that involves what you value and important. It'd be education, it, um, community service, it could be relationships, uh, all those things. But it's so individual to the person. But I have found that clear, really clearly defined your core value, and li- you'll be able to live by those and be much and feel much more satisfied with the decisions that you. Yeah, I, I so in a, a data set of two, I've talked to a couple of Cody, you and 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 I asked that question. She gave us a kind of answer, and she also said like it can really put people off, but. Uh, but I think that's a, I wasn't fishing this when I asked earlier, but I think that is an area of the way by and large from grounding. Uh, and like, that's a space that then opens up where like in former time, maybe that some of this could have happened. It certainly writes up. But now as more and more people are disconnected from that with really valid reasons, um, there is still that need for value. Somebody's got it. Yeah. And from my experience, I have a lot of peers who are Christian coaches who really um, coach on faith, um, you know, for, for that, for that individuals. And I think it's very important because you know, pastors, priests, rabbis—they were the coaches of the of the keys back in the day, and and uh, you know, I think that in some cases they've lost trust, in other cases they haven't. Like I said, it goes back to that leadership. Like, who is that person in that group that we're following? You know, handing over our vulnerability to—is oh, yeah. it a safe space? Are we being seen? Are we being heard? Are being supported? Again, I think from a coach, you can definitely get that from a religious leader if they have those skills. Yeah, you know, and and religion is neither good nor bad. It's just so it's it's really how you how you want to interact with. This uh, is the part like I said, that that yeah. you just open again, Joseph. You like to open up Pandora's boxes with questions, and uh, when you touch upon the religion one, that's a it's a hot button one. I know. Well, out. I have another question, and I think this is more functional, right? Um, what? Well, this question um, comes in two parts, so maybe it's not. But um, what does burnout look like for a dad? And um, the next question is, um, what are some signs that um, a dad might be burning out? Um, what, are, what are the things they should look for um, to start to say, maybe I should reach out to somebody? Yeah. Now you're in my wheelhouse. Now we're talking. <laughs> um, number one, when you dread going to work for Monday on a, that's burnout. Okay. When you find yourself disengaged from activities you used to love, that's a sign of, um, when you find yourself isolating 
and pulling back from the people you love, your relationships, everything else, that's burnout. Um, I also see it in men as anger and frustration. When you're frustrated, you feel trapped, and you kind of lost that hope where you don't feel like there's somewhere you don't have a future, that's burnout. There are a lot of different symptoms. I actually have a burnout quiz on my website. So if you go to my website, you can download. It's 15 questions that pretty much walks you through symptoms that would attribute to burnout. What How it manifests is basically you just kind of disengage because that's really what burnout is, just disengage. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, I've distilled it down to one idea, which is burnout is when you feel like you're doing more things in a day that you have to versus doing more things. It, it you know, two words, obligation versus intention. Mm. And when you start to live a life of obligation, you start to build resentment and then you start to really make bad decisions. Because when you start to feel resentment, you start to feel trapped. Like any trapped animal, you get desperate. And from a point, a place of desperation, you make horrible, horrible decisions. So that's really where it is. And, you know, burnout is, a, is it creeps up on you. And I've done some videos on what I call the burnout cycle, which, you know, it's kind of the five stages where you go from being happy, content to God, shoot me. Um, <laughs> and in that cycle, it creeps up on you. It, it slowly f kind of fills in. And I think one of those components is um, aspirational, hanging out with, these are some of those, the combative, hanging out with inspiring, hanging out you know, ideas that light you up, that give you a vision of a future that in one of my recent podcasts that I was guested on, um, I broke it down into four emotions. If you feel these four emotions, you burnt out. It's excitement, gratitude, optimism, and hope. When you're like feeling that. those emotions, you're burnt out. That's like armor against burnout. Yeah, I like that you separate optimism distinct. And so it sounds like, um, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, but one of the keys to combating burnout isn't necessarily about taking things away, but it's about adding things in. Yes, and that I think is the biggest fallacy. Like when we're burnt out, and I've I ex I've experienced it so many times, is that you feel no energy. Mm -hmm. So you're just like, oh, uh, you know, and it starts to border on depression. Where you're like, I'm just not, gonna, I'm going to disengage. The the trick to combating it, reengaging. You know, it's like that. You guys ever watched Top, Top Gun? It's a it's a little it's a little movie from the 80s. I know. Um, <laughs> heard of it? You know, yeah. and the guy keeps yelling at Maverick to engage, like engage Maverick, engage, right? That's that's what I always hear about when I think of burnout. It's you're sitting there floating and someone's yelling at you and it's that little voice in your head that's saying, "Get in the game." Mm. And one of the one of the I guess easy tips I give people all the time is when you're feeling burnt out, go have fun. Find something that you do that lights you up or a little kid go throw snowballs go roll down a hill ride a bike you know do something that's fun in the moment don't wait don't plan it just go have fun that will help to recapture some of those core feelings that i talked about the excitement the gratitude the optimism the hope it'll start to spark that and then it's like fire like burnout is the absence of fire i was just thinking that yeah <laughs> right you want to ignite that fire, fire yeah yeah, you, that's the spark. You just need little sparks. Then you throw some kindling. Before you know it, you're a different man. Mm. I have to. If you guys want to, I can I, like, I, You know what? I got to go too, because <laughs> I think we could go all night. But um, part two, maybe? Yeah, we're we're going to have to do a part two. This was great, Pete. Um, sorry for all the curveball questions, but I get all these questions going. And then we've got, we've got so course. much stuff. Yeah. Um, but thanks a lot, man. We, yeah, we'll definitely have to do this some more sometime. And I need to talk to you about the leadership donut and might just be a useful tool. So something sounds we'll great. I, I, like I said, I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys again.
Turn up. Whoa. You all can just go. <laughs>